Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life, presented by Fantrax. Here's Jack Hughes. Your source of information and analysis to help you win your fantasy hockey league. Barkov has a step in on Stalock. Barkov shoots and scores! Here's your hosts, Jesse Severe and Victor Nuno. Fantasy Hockey Live! Back once again to talk about the wonderful world of fantasy hockey. I am Jesse Severe from Fantrax. Joining me across the glass, Victor Nuno of Dauber Prospects. Victor, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jesse. And you might have just accidentally created a new sport, fanny hockey. What is that? Fanny hockey. That's right. And that's what life is all about is fanny hockey. (laughs) That's how this is going to roll. Yeah. Victor and I, we've said this before, but we're almost to the loopy zone of our recordings for today. Next week is going to be even tougher for us, I think. But we have been in this recording for several hours. That doesn't matter we're pressing on because we love fantasy hockey, Victor, and we love talking about it. And we're just wrapping up our some of our rookie drafts. By the time people hear this, we probably will be wrapped up on our rookie drafts. But it has been that season once again, Victor. How many drafts, how many leagues total do you have this year? I have, I counted them up. I'm in about 23 leagues. 20 of them I commission in. And as we don't, play in all those leagues though because sometimes we're just running them for other people but yeah it's a lot it's a lot of leagues and for some reason they all some of them happened already but a lot of them ended up happening this same weekend that we're recording so it's a lot to keep track of because all these different drafts are running at the same time and people have issues they draft the wrong player or whatever but also there's just a lot to keep track of. Like all of a sudden you're trying to make sure everything is running smoothly. And then it, then your pick is up and you're like, Oh shoot, I actually have to think about who I want in this league, which always makes it a bit tough, but yeah, it's a little bit to keep straight, but it's a good times. I've have had a couple of leagues where I've had some pretty decent players fall to me, which is always nice. But in general, it's been it's been a lot of frustration about oh, getting sniped and all that, which is part of the fun of drafts. Absolutely. That's what I call fun, Victor. That's what I call fun. Yeah. If people want to have that kind of fun, it's not too late. There's why am I saying it's not too late and it's only the middle of August? It's actually getting a little bit to crunch time to form your leagues, especially if it's slow draft. One place, if you're looking for like-minded individuals to talk about your fantasy drafts and or maybe try to come together and find a group of people who are good at fantasy hockey, who would like to draft with you, come to our Discord server. 
It is free to join. And all you have to do to get in there is email us fantasyhockeylife at gmail.com. Hit myself up on X at Fan Hockey Life or Victor at Victor Nuno 12. And Victor, there are more things if you want to get into all the things that we have going on, including the Patreon. Tell people what they could have if they wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, great stuff over the Patreon. One of the biggest things, the tier dynasty that we are already full for, but you can jump on the waiting list and get filled in. As it becomes available, you have to be a patron to do that. We also have show notes. We have patron casts. We have top 10 lists for the prospects on there. And a bunch of other show. Whenever I guess on another show, I usually send the show notes out to for that prep as well. So you get other content as well. And there's the rank list, I think, is the biggest thing, the prospect ranks. So you can see forward, D, goalie, and 2023 ranks all in there. We also have the average draft position project, which please share your drafts with us. And we're collating all that for all the patrons to see. And it's really fun, really good stuff going on there. So check that out if you want to support the show at patreon.com slash fantasy hockey life. That's enough of this. It's time to get to the show. Talking Pittsburgh Penguins right after this. Pleased to be joined tonight by a man who does Pittsburgh Penguins content for that website, The Athletic. It is Jesse Marshall. Jesse, how you doing? Doing well, gentlemen. Appreciate you having me on again. Absolutely. We appreciate somebody who can come and help us work through the Pittsburgh Penguins because they really are one of the fascinating teams of the offseason. They've had a lot of, there's been some change. This is a team that had the longest active playoff streak in North American sports, 16 years, and it ended this year by one standings point. So close. And some things really went right for the team. If you would have asked me, said the Pens missed the playoffs, I would have said it's probably because their top two stars weren't healthy. But Crosby and Malkin were healthy. That was definitely no gimme coming in. The injuries and performance declines popped up elsewhere on the roster, I would suggest, and we'll get your takes on this too. The team has really aggressively worked for so long to keep a competitive team on the ice around Sidney Crosby, which isn't a bad idea, but the bill is starting to come due for that lack of homegrown top talent. The Pens as a team last year had the fifth most shots, the seventh most shots against, slightly below average in save percentage, but otherwise mostly were in the middle of the road statistically, which was, again, where they ended up in the standings. The team has a new GM, has made some, he's already made some big moves this offseason that took out a couple of the tougher contracts that were probably not the greatest thing for the Penguins' success going forward. So do you think the Penguins think they've done enough to get the team back in the playoffs with a puncher's chance at a deep run this year, Jesse? Yes, with the caveat of... I don't know that the work's done. Like the rumor mill is the rumor mill, right? And you take everything with a grain of salt. But I do think overall that there's like credence to the reports we hear of there being like this floated interest in Thomas Tatar would be, that would be a monumental ad if they, not monumental, but it'd be a big ad considering all the other stuff. When you stack it on top of all the other things they've done, it would take them that much closer. So I think that the answer is, I think Kyle Dubas thinks so. I think his answer would be yes. But again, I just don't get the sense that he has completed his work. And I I still think that there are some problem contracts on the team. 
Jeff Carter is probably the one that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in the show, but potentially jettisoning that off the team and maybe bringing in a guy like a Tomas Tatar who's looking for more than one year, doesn't want to do a one-year bridge deal and put all his chips in on that one year. And what if his shooting percentage were to go in the toilet? Now he's compromised to getting another deal after that. I, I So convoluted answer, but yes and no in the sense that they still want, they're not, I don't know that we have a, a complete body of work to judge yet, but I think that the work that they've done so far, you mentioned at one standing point, right? You got to feel at least pretty confident that they've added that in the work that they've done this off season. Yeah, definitely. We'll be curious to see if they make any other moves. Let's get into the main forwards that we're going to talk about. Of course, we're going to start with their star. Sidney Crosby is still kicking. He's still doing great. He, We thought he'd be around the 18th to 28th best forward in fantasy. He was right in there in 19. And we'll talk about what we project him for the future. It may have been a down year for the Penguins, but not for Crosby. As a 36-year-old, he kept up his elite production. 93-point pace is about what he's done the past five seasons or so, give or take. And that's what he did this year. 33 goals, 60 assists for those 93 points. And 27 power play points is great. He's got two years left at that 8.7 million. And you look at some of the underlyings, and it hasn't really regressed much. He's still really good defensively, still generating a lot of offense. It's not like he's getting lucky or anything like that. And I know last year when you were on, I asked you how long he could keep this up. And it seems like his game is poised to age, continue to age well as he gets older. So do you see any kind of fall off coming from Crosby? Or is he just going to be in this range, 85 to 100 point player again this season and maybe for another one or two after that? Um, I mean, it could be 2035, 2040, Victor. And I'd probably give you the answer yes to that question. <laughs> I don't think that there'd ever be a time where I'd bet against him. I'll tell you this, guys. I watched, um, I turned 40 this year. And I saw so the reason I tell you that is I'm old enough to have watched the entirety of Sidney Crosby's professional hockey career, every game of it. But I also caught most of Mario's too, especially the back end, right? And the, I don't think there's ever really appropriate levels of comparison between Crosby and Lemieux. When Crosby was so young, everybody wanted to shove that comparison down your throat in Pittsburgh and try to force it to fit. And I don't think it does. They're two totally different players, but what they share and what makes Sidney Crosby immune to this sort of standard age-based degradation is his, the under the combination of vision and hockey sense that they had as they got older, that evolved and changed and they no longer became players that would go down barreling down the ice, 99 miles an hour bowling people over or shoving them off or deking through four or five guys, they were using the eyes in the back of their head, changing the tempo, slowing the game down, drawing defenders in and exploiting the open space. All those little tricks that, that you don't need to be operating at 100 miles an hour to do successfully. And if you look at last year, Sidney Crosby, 99th percentile in high danger passes and general in zone shot assists. That's why, <laughs> because he can manipulate the pace of the game. He can draw people in, magnetize people into him, and then distribute the puck to a Jake Gensel or a Ricard Raquel or maybe even an Eric Carlson this year. And boom. That, so as time has worn on, his playmaking ability has become the foundation of his game more than it was in prior times of his career. His goal scoring, although very strong last year, like I don't think is – his backhand is still a magical lethality. 
every time he steps on the ice. But it's his, he's not deacon through five, six guys anymore. That's just the way it is. He doesn't have that penchant for his game anymore. But again, the hockey sense, the vision, the tempo control, the ability to find people without telling the defense and the opposing goaltender what he's about to do. I'm sorry. I'll put that up against Connor McDavid and the elite players of the league any day of the week. And while the, some of those physical elements may not exist, I don't think there's a smarter player in the league right now, especially since Patrice Bergeron retired. But I, yeah, I, so to answer your long answer, Victor, but I don't think it's, I'm not betting against him. Yeah. I'm, I've seen too much at this point in my life to, to, to know. And the fact that he he's has this full off season, right? Where I think he's used to carrying like nagging things into the postseason and having a short recovery period. He's coming back hungry, rested, healthy, dangerous combination of things for Sidney Grosby. So I think it'll be more of the same this year. Frank, I'd put him in the exact, I wouldn't be surprised if he gave you the same point total. Um, health pending, obviously, that's a big part of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the exact same window you just mentioned. Tremendous. Evgeny Malkin, I just mentioned about the health. Evgeny Malkin played a full 82 games for the first time since 2008-2009. Some of those years were just missing a little, but a lot of those years were missing a lot. His point-per-game pace was like clockwork with three shots per game, over half a hit, under half a block, right around there. 36 power play points were the fourth highest in Evgeny Malkin's 16-year career. He's he's not cup year Malkin. He's not at that point, but he definitely is on an upward trajectory from when he bottomed out a little bit in, in the COVID year. But back on this late renaissance, if he can get this performance going, it seems very fair that he's going to be paid $6.1 million for the next three campaigns from Pittsburgh's standpoint. Do you think Malkin is going to be able to keep this performance up healthy for a couple more years, Jesse? That's the big question, right? It's the health piece. And a lot of the injuries that he's been dealt over the course of the last couple of years have been lower body, like soft tissue injuries that you always wonder about, right? Knock on wood, you don't, those are always a little tenuous. Uh, I think if he stays healthy, yes, for sure. His shot rates were down last year at a pretty stark rate. I think that's probably an anomaly. I don't expect that to continue into the season. I think he'll get himself back up there again. Potential for an appearance with a new line mate this year in Riley Smith, who I think does a lot of transitional dirty work that'll take a load off of Malkin and give him the opportunity to get back to shooting and using his really advanced offensive skill set. I think a lot of it'll depend, excuse me guys, on Brian Rust who didn't have his best season last year. That'll think a player that I expect to see a lot with Malkin. Some of, I think Malkin's numbers are down because Russ's finishing ability was not his anywhere near his best last season. I think looking at this year, Malkin could easily hit 800 assists. I think the dynamic of the Penguins defense has changed in a way that Malkin and Latang are going to spend way more time together potentially this year. And if it doesn't play out like that, he's going to get Eric Carlson really nice consolation prize. And again, so the reason I mentioned this to you guys overall, Victor and Jesse, I think Malkin's strength is in a lower burden of transitional puck carrying hockey. If he can be the guy that gets the first pass right across the offensive blue line, you put the puck in his hand in that transitional period, as opposed to him taking it from deep behind his own net, the defensive zone and trying to be 2009 Malkin <laughs> and beat two or three guys like that 
environment for him a lot better. I think that he's going to find himself in a spot, with, whether it be from the Riley Smith perspective or, again, Latang or Carlson, where the burden is just lessened on him and he could be more of that trigger man. That's what I look forward to. I think that's where he's at his best. And if he can get those shot rates back up while maintaining the level of playmaking he had last year, I think you could see even... It's crazy to say a 30, what, 37, 38 year old player gets an uptick after a point per game season, but I don't think that's unreasonable to say, given the environment he's going to find himself in, which is, by the way, is heavy offensive zone deployments, tons of time with really good puck moving defensemen. Hey, that's, I think for me anyway, that's a recipe for success for Evgeny Malkin. Sounds like a really good recipe to me. Yeah. Let's talk about the next forward here. Jake Gensel. And he was right in line where Jesse and I had him coming in the season. We thought he'd be around between 20 and 25th best forward. He was number 25. And we thought of him as a top tier forward this year. I don't know. Based on his season, he had a bit of a down year. He was under a point per game for the first time after being over a point per game for the previous three seasons, or at least point per game pace. And regressed to his 2018-19 point pace this past season where he was in that mid to high 70 range. So this season, 36 goals, 37 assists for 77-point pace. Lots of shots, lots of power play points, decent blocks too. Actually pretty good for block shots hits at his position. Contract year, one year left at $6 million. That might play in here. One thing that was interesting about Gunsel this year, he was much worse defensively, at least by evolving hockey's metrics, expected goals against and course against per 60. So that was interesting. Do you think, Jesse, that Gensel's 90-point seasons are more of an outlier, or was this past season the bigger outlier and we can expect him to move back up this upcoming season? I would say that I think you'd expect him to move back up this upcoming season, but he's going to miss some time. And I think the Penguins have quite honestly been a little bit generous with their advice on when they think he's going to be back in the lineup. The original, we'll say worst-case scenario, Victor, we'll take it to the extreme here, is 12 weeks, right? That would put you him getting back in practice and skating with the team again and reacclimating himself to contact at the end of October. How many weeks does it take to get yourself ready again? I don't know. Is it a week? You're in November now. That's if everything goes well. So he's going to miss time. The question is, how equipped is he to deal with the rigors of the schedule when he gets back in the lineup coming off of a lower body ankle injury that required surgery? We don't know what version of Jake Gensel we're going to get. Now, that being said, super high hockey IQ. The son of a really good coach, Mike Gensel, is an amazing coach himself. And you get that sense when you watch him play. He's probably the most adept line mate that has ever been built for Sidney Crosby just because of his, again, IQ and ability to digest the nuance of the game that Crosby is like dumping on you like a waterfall constantly. That's It takes a special kind of player to be able to deal with that. When you take that into consideration with how much better the Penguins' power play is, we're talking about over two and a half expected goals generated with Gensel on the ice for the power play, as opposed to not, he, he's a really critical uh, piece to this offensive machine. Finishing down a little bit late last year, like you, I think that's really what bit him is that the puck, especially at the beginning of the year, was not going in. It took him a while to catch up on the goal scoring side. Again, pace-wise, Victor, pace-wise, I would question whether he'll get there this year because of the nature of his injury, and we don't know. Anytime it's ankle or knee or anything like that, you just wonder about the impact it'll have to a player's mobility. Mobility is a big part of what Jake Denzel does. If you it, look, if he comes back healthy, no issue, 
I would say great fantasy option if you're okay with taking the hit on games missed at the front end because he's probably going to miss, if at best, a handful. I, I, there's no way it's less than five games, in my opinion. I think he's right around best case scenario, five games. Worst case scenario, you're into November. But if he comes back well-equipped, I think he's a guy that could score at a 90-point pace. He's going to be, in, again, in an environment with Sidney Crosby, Ricard Raquel, and maybe Eric Carlson going to really be a fruitful thing for him. You just question where he is health-wise and what impact this injury potentially has to his health. The other thing I'll say, though, I'm contradicting myself now, Victor, is that there's a potential, and I don't know this, but some people speculate was last year's down year because he had a nagging ankle injury. Did he pick up this ankle injury in the beauty league and it's just like a new thing? Or did he carry it into the offseason? It got better. The beauty league reactivated it. I think there was a sense verbiage wise in there from the penguins that hinted that maybe it was something that had bothered him before. We don't know that. So maybe we're fixing a problem here. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you're still cutting a month of production potentially out of his total points. Ricard Raquel, I underestimated this guy coming into the year, and that veteran seemed to thrive in his first full year in Western Pennsylvania. He played a full 82, second highest career scoring line, 28 goals, 32 assists. He also notched three shots and close to two hits a game, gold for his fantasy types. Got a career high in average power play time on ice at 318. And Pittsburgh's power play... It it wasn't quite what it once was, but it's an awfully nice place to be to score some points. And those career-high 21 power play points were a reason for Raquel's scoring jump overall. He moved back and forth during the season between the Crosby-Gensel line and the Malkin-Zucker line. And his 5-by-5 remaining contract is tied for the longest future term of a Pittsburgh forward. What clicked for this guy coming in, and do you expect it to continue, Jesse? I do expect it to continue. I I think what clicked for him is he played a bit of a light diet version, if you will, of some of the great things that that Chris Kunitz did on that line traditionally with Sidney Crosby for a number of years, which really is puck retrieval, winning those battles on the boards, going to the front of the net, and putting a stick on the ice, and in some cases, letting Sidney Crosby bank the puck in off of him. Now, I don't want to be diminutive of Ricard Raquel because he's turned out to be a heck of a finisher. I think we've seen that throughout his career. There's been moments in time where he'll put one in the net and you'll see it on NHL tonight and you'll be like, what, who was that? Brings you to the edge of your seat. Now that was back a little bit last year. 28 goals is a lot of goals, right? That That's a testament to his ability to get to scoring areas and make himself available. So it's very simplistic, right? There's no magic sauce here. It's all the traditional things that you would expect out of a player getting to the traditional areas, getting to the tough areas, winning those battles and, and getting available and peeling off of a defender has done wonders for him. The nice thing is, in Ricard Raquel's case, Mike Sullivan doesn't usually like to switch things up in the top six. But if he does, he goes from playing with Sidney Crosby to playing with Evgeny Malkin. If you're (laughs) from drafting a winger perspective in fantasy, you want to consider the centers they're playing with. There's no bad option for Raquel here, right? Like you're not going to see him on the third line in Pittsburgh. He's, I will say this, guys, with the addition of Raquel, or of, excuse me, of, of Eric Carlson, it is fair to wonder what the power play situation looks like for him. And do the Penguins go to 2D? Do they put Latang and, and Carlson on the top unit together and just go with three forwards? Because if they're going with three forwards, Ricard Raquel is probably not going to be one. 
right? When healthy, you're probably looking at like a Gensel Crosby Malkin situation. So does that chunk a, a bit of points away from him? Possibly. We'll see what that looks like. But a situation worth monitoring, but still very great value, I think. For a guy who's not usually a household name, you get in maybe 25 goals from him next year. That's still a really good number. And by the way, Ricard Raquel in the evolving hockey model of goals above replacement was the third most valuable skater on the Pittsburgh Penguins last year behind Sidney Crosby and Josh Archibald. Go home, evolving hockey's model. I think you're drunk. Sample Um, size. Sample size. There you go. Riley Smith. (laughs) Riley Smith. You mentioned him, Jesse, and uh, certainly Pittsburgh fans are going to get a first look at him, but we all watched him a lot this spring in summer in Vegas's Stanley Cup run. Vegas's cap nightmare led them to move this original misfit for a third-round pick. This is not a guy who we expected to come in or will expect to come in as a superstar, but seems pretty likely to win that left-wing lottery, like you said, maybe with Evgeny Malkin is what I think I heard you suggest. But a steady average guy since the night's inception and is on a pretty reasonable contract for the next couple of years. Nice bit of business. But in terms of his performance on the ice, do you think that he will look about the same way he did in Vegas? Or do you think that he's going to strike gold playing with, no pun intended, Golden Knights with the Penguins that he's going to get here? That's a great question, Jesse. I don't know. We're going to see him in a a a traditional goal scoring type of a role on that line. And again, I mentioned this earlier. His strength, I think, was defensive play, which Malkin needs a ton of, transition, which Malkin needs help with, and somebody who could just do that Raquel job I told you about on the top line, they need that on the second line, and that's what Riley Smith does. He's that conduit for me that brings that whole thing together. He's going to create space, get to the dirty areas, and make himself available. That, I think, takes burden off of both Malkin and Rust in differing ways that allows them to focus on the things that they're good at. That also doesn't, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to contradict myself here in a second, Jesse, but you traditionally wouldn't think that a role like that would also beget you a ton of points, right? And maybe not be the focal point of that line offensively, but Ricard Raquel was doing that job and he just scored 28 goals. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll say this. I think he's th- this line is going to be used again in a very, I mentioned this earlier, in a very offensive way. This Mike Sullivan is going to deploy them in the offensive zone in situations where they need a goal. They're going to feed them minutes that are really offensive in nature. So if you think last year, 56 points in what, 78 games, I think he's definitely going to be in an environment to potentially crack that. I just don't think that uh, from a goal scoring perspective, I'm expecting a lot. Assists, you know, Hey, maybe, um, maybe we see a career high there given how good he is in transition and his role on this line, but I expect him to have a great impact on the line's defensive work and to get a ton of minutes on the penalty kill. So if you're in a league that awards points for defensive stats and blocks and things of that nature, something to keep an eye on. Cause I think he will be, I would venture to say, gentlemen, probably the forward that gets the most minutes on the penalty kill for the penguins this year. I think that's why they went out and got him, especially this was a real big pain point for them last year. They just were a little bit of a mess on the penalty kill. They didn't have a lot of aggressive nature to them. Not anyone that was really going out there and trying to push the pace. That's what Smith does. He's very active out there. And I think that the, that's something to keep an eye on is he's going to get a lot of minutes and probably some second team power play time as well, potentially. 
Well, Brian Rust, I mentioned how Raquel spent about half the time with Crosby, half the time with Malkin. Rust was on the other end of that seesaw in terms of switching back and forth between the lines, according to the data we have. I've always liked Rust's production on this team. He continued to point, post two and a half shots with more than a hit per game. Those are nice stats. Scoring was rough, though, this past year. 9.5% shooting, way below his career, 12.3% shooting. And he ended up with 20 goals and 26 assists in in those games that he did play. Was it bad bounces for Russ last year? Could he rebound to pay off for the five years left on the contract he has? And while you're talking about that, the other thing I'm curious about is you've talked about who's going to be on which line and what's the intel based on there? Is it something you're reading the tea leaves and your understanding of the team? Has there been some quotes from coaches and stuff like that have come out that have really let us know how telegraph what's going to happen here? But anyway, Brian Rust. Yeah. So a couple of things, right? I think taking your questions in reverse order. I think what we came to learn last year is that both Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby Ricard Raquel on that top line. That seemed to be something that made everyone really happy. So I'm expecting that to be the traditionally from a time on ice perspective and a deployment perspective, it's rust and Malkin that have that sort of like traditional historical chemistry. Now you mentioned the shooting percentage, Jesse, that's right. I'm going to throw another one at you too. rush attempts and rush offense, put them in the 46th percentile of NHL forwards on that bucket last year. And if you look at all of Russ's historically strong seasons, that number is way higher. So his ability to, be successful offensively seems to be tied to how much rush offense he generates career year that he had not that long ago in the past from a points perspective was in the 96th percentile in transition offense that year, not a mystery, right? Like this is, I think these two things very much go hand in hand with each other when he's not feeling confident, he's a deferring type of a player, right? He's not getting into positions to finish. He's sending that puck over to Malkin good, bad, or worse and becomes a little bit of a passenger. The problem with him traditionally has been consistency and the ability to put it together for really long stretches of time. Again, going to have, I think regardless of where you find him, probably going to get another crack inside the top six to start the year, probably on the Malkin line. One of That line is going to get one of Carlson or Latang, you would think, on how the split works. I'm going to be a much different environment for him, potentially for the better. It comes down to, does that finish come back? We don't know. And what does his transition offense look like? And I feel like you could set your watch to it just in terms of when his approach changes and dials back in that area. I think it, it hampers him. I think it hampers his ability to get into finishing areas and be effective. Another thing I'll call out with Rust guys is that power play piece, right? Out of real estate that's getting eaten up by Eric Carlson. You assume we don't know what that looks like yet. We don't know how they're going to align it or what the plan is there. But Brian Rust is traditionally a guy that on that top unit, when they're running four forwards here and there, that wonder if that might change now. You mentioned like Jeff Carter. Of course, there's several other forwards on this team. But just in terms of from a fantasy perspective, getting into these top lines, is there anybody else you think is regularly going to crack top producing lines on this team, Jesse, just generally speaking? I'll throw a name at you to keep an eye on that, that had, I think, some 
utility around them last year was Noel Achari, who's now in, in here and reacquired by Kyle Dubas on a new three-year contract that's given him a decent chunk of cash a year. Vidal really does all the things well that you'd come to expect from a bottom six forward, plays with energy, hits a lot, blocks a lot of shots, a lot of momentum stealing skill sets. I think he's going to play a big chunk of time again on the penalty kill in Pittsburgh, an area that really need rebuilt after a lot of inconsistent struggles last year and really a lack of sense of urgency. So a cherry, I think like the other players, Dubas has brought in both that strong defensive return, keeps the puck out of the, out of his own zone altogether. But the, given the fact that he's a puck retriever, that North to South pace, constantly putting himself in positions to generate a lot of takeaways, I expect Mike Sullivan loves that kind of guy, right? And that true utility forward that can fill in a gap anywhere up and down the lineup without causing like a significant level of nosedive drop off. He's not going to score a ton of points, right? But I think given the style of play that he employs and the way the Penguins forecheck, that is a name that may see surprise time in the top six talk about the gap that a Jake Gensel creates at the beginning of a season. Hey, maybe it, maybe that's the face we see filling in that time here and there alongside Sidney Crosby in a rotational base. I don't know. We'll see. But it's, I think, one of significance for me in that when you're around and you hear people talk about the signing, it's one that everyone in the organization seems to be like low-key a buzz about. <laughs> and a player that Kyle Dubas and his staff developed a great affinity for in their previous experience with. Yeah, great stuff on the forwards. We're going to move on to the blue line now. And for the first time in a long time, we are not going to talk Chris Letang first when we come <laughs> to this blue line. Yeah, I wonder what happened. Yeah. So Eric Carlson, obviously, we are get to cover him again because previously we covered him in the San Jose team preview. But now he's a penguin and we got to dissect what's going to happen here. You've already alluded to the, some of the big question marks here. We don't really know how they're going to set up the power play. We could talk all about what he did in San Jose, but I don't think any of that's really that relevant to what's going to happen in Pittsburgh because he had all the time, all the opportunity, and things are going to shift now. They have two great offensive defensemen. They have great offensive weapons at forward, but do they line one of them up in a shooting role? Do they do they put them both out there? Do they alternate? I saw what happened with Burns and Carlson and it just never really worked with the two of them out there. And obviously, Latang's a different player. But what do you? What is your sense of what they're going to do? It's going to these two could just eat into their fantasy relevance, and neither can be as good. Or they could somehow make it work. And they're both great players. But what is yeah. your sense of how they're going to work this out, Jesse? Yeah, I think they're both going to play twenty six minutes a night. <laughs> I do. I think that's what's going to happen. Is the Penguins are going to really deploy two pairings hot. And then that that turns their third pairing, which will have Pierre Olivier Joseph and I, and probably Chad Ruweedle, that is going to be scantily used, probably mostly after special team situations, post power play, things of that nature. Those guys will handle those minutes extraordinarily well, but they're just going to be scant. I think that uh, you'll probably see, if I had to guess, Marcus Pedersen be the guy who plays alongside Eric Carlson. Pedersen being the more defensive specialist really not concerned about joining the rush or participating in offense at all. <laughs> that to me screams Eric Carlson partner because you need somebody back there to take care of the business that will undoubtedly get made from him joining the rush and being that sort of fourth forward. That will put, 
I think a little bit of con- it's that defensive defenseman that allows him to flip the switch and not be concerned about what's going on defensively. So he'll have that going for him. Look, this is just a puck mover, right? At the end of the day, a guy who can distribute and move the puck in an absolutely insane way, who's probably looking at a situation where he's going to get a, a scooping helping of minutes with Sidney Crosby who we just said is still one of the best players in the world when it comes to seeing the play and breaking it down and making offensive contribution. At the end of the day, this is going to be a unique circumstance for him. And I think one that I will never, you'll never catch me saying that I think another 100 point season is on the horizon for him, right? Because that's so hard to do. And we hadn't seen it happen for some time for a reason. But I don't think that you write him off. I don't think he's going to like drop down to the 80 point threshold all of a sudden and just crash and burn. I still think that there's a lot of value here. The Penguins are just, for me anyway, you take the Crosby thing into consideration. Gensel will be there when he gets back. But just the system is, I think, a little bit more aggressive and more welcoming of his sort of philosophies, if you will. So all of that into consideration, right? I think you're looking at a much different situation for him going into this year. Let's not neglect Chris Letang, though, because he is he's an outstanding defenseman in his own right. He was actually the eighth best defenseman in fantasy hockey last year and absolute top tier guy. These two years of good health were great. Those two, that is. And then last year it fell off. He missed some time off the ice. There was some nicks and bruises. And then there was some really nasty personal stuff that he was dealing with as well. That certainly is not on him. If you allege that he doesn't stick injuries out, if you want to say that it's because he's not tough enough, dude took a puck to the face, was bleeding everywhere, and came back out the next game last year. Latang is tough. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Optimistic view would be that 41 points in a 64-game season will bounce back in the new year and pass those challenges of last year. The pessimist would say... He's 36. He's sharing the blue line with a better offensive defenseman for probably the first time in his career, I would venture to guess. Which side are you on? What kind of Chris Letang performance do you think that we'll see this year, Jesse? The interesting thing here is you start to get into the nuance of how his environment's changed. It's not just a Carlson piece. His partner, for the first time in a long time, is not Brian Dumoulin. And I think most people in Pittsburgh would tell you that's a good thing. Last year, that just that partnership did not work. Dumoulin struggled mightily. The sort of quote-unquote safety valve for Latang was no longer there. And the disharmony between that unit affected both of their play negatively. So Ryan Graves steps in, and he is, for all intents and purposes, the guy who's probably going to get the minutes alongside Latang in this new and new rebuilt defense from Kyle Dubas. And I think most people are expecting that to be a positive, potentially even to lessen the burden. And I'll give you guys an example too. Think of it this way, Jesse. Teams last year targeted Brian Dumoulin on entry, right? Knowing that whether they were dumping it in, skating it in, they were going to press him and create a burden on Chris Letang that potentially this year that goes away. And I think that just from a def- thinking of from the perspective of being a defenseman, that really changes your mindset and how often you can take a green light when it's presented to you to jump into the play, to pinch, to be risky. If you don't have that nagging thought in the back of your head of this hasn't been working out, my partner's struggling, we have, we've been allowing a ton of odd man rushes, 
all of the video review is about us. That's not about, you're probably, you're going to be a little bit more hesitant. So I think this is a situation potentially, Jesse, where iron sharpens iron. And I know you're not, I, you're not going to see Carlson and Latang play together. Um, I think unless it's the end of a game and Mike Sullivan's putting out the transformer juggernaut to try to get a goal all, all intents and purposes uh, aside, I, that'll exist, right? But we haven't traditionally seen Mike Sullivan use Malkin and Crosby together. That was a, very much a thing that Michelle Terrian and Dan Bosman would save for the end of a game or when they were down a goal and needed one. But he won't. He doesn't even really do that anymore. I think that they'll distinctly carry their own identities on this team. Those identities will be inherently similar, but I think that it, they'll be separate enough that outside of the power play, we may not really see them interact much at all. Yeah, and it, I think you said they're both right shots, Latang and Carlson. So, like you said, you don't want to have them out there too long together, or at least it's not optimal. So, Ryan Graves, I will just say, it, yeah, he is definitely a guy that the Penguins are investing in, and he played for the Devils last two seasons. Last year, point every three games, two shots, two blocks, and a hit every game, 20 minutes. He was out there for 78 games, and he's got a long future investment of six years, 4.5 per. He really was getting buried in New Jersey's deep defensive system, but he should really get a good opportunity, like you said, with the Penguins. So in terms of his importance to Latang, I think you've covered that. You see a impact in terms of Graves himself being somebody who's going to have good production stats for this team. Again, we're going to be looking at him in a situation where he's going to be deployed at even strength and a lot of high leverage offensive situations. But here's what I'm looking at, guys. His quality of competition is about to get a significant bump. And quality of players he sees on the other side of the ice, some of the difficulties of deployments potentially, that'll all change. They are not going to ask him to be a, a transitional puck distributor on this pairing. That is not going to be the ask. I think if he can do that, if Latang gets targeted, if you will, and, and they're really loading up on him, hey, Graves can do it great. But I just, I don't know what this role, if you will, spells for him offensively. Although the environment will be friendly to him and all who have talented players around him, I just, I don't know that they're going to ask him to do things that put him in a position to score a lot of points. Namely, we know Latang likes to join the play. We know he's going to want to join the rush. You can't have two defensemen on the same pairing doing that work. You have no one back. <laughs> you could do it, but it would look a lot like the Buffalo Sabres from a couple years ago. So I, I think that ultimately when you get down to it, I'm providing a tale of caution here from a fantasy perspective, because I though I think the potential is high. It also comes with a, a great bit of risk just in that deployment wise in his role, you may see him be asked to be a little bit more discerning about how he participates in the game offensively. Yeah, good points, especially the quality of competition. That's a really underrated thing that people just yeah. assume you can increase minutes or switch them around. It's not equivalent. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, and let me throw this at you too, Victor. Last year, he was just really not good at all in elevating his teammates with passing. Um, and I think that's why the Penguins are comfortable with him not having this like super active role in the offensive side. Is I think he was like sub 10 percentile defensively in terms of like, passes that led to a shot or a scoring chance. 
he throws a lot of rubber at the net. Sure. Yeah. Great at that. But I think that they, he lacks the discernment. But if you think about that logically, like super low percentile and setting up passes and, and shot attempts for your teammates, super high percentile and taking the shots yourself, that kind of tells a little bit of a narrative, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you're taking too many shots. I don't know. So I think maybe that's, I think why maybe the Penguins are like comfortable saying, hey, cool, we're not even going to put you in that situation. We're not going to ask you to do that. Go out there and follow 58. Yeah, that's a good plan. Just follow him. I want to ask you about a couple of the depth defensemen. You mentioned Pierre-Olivier Joseph, POJ, and Ty Smith is another guy. Both these guys are two young players who haven't quite translated their game successfully, I would say, to the NHL. We did see Smith spend some time in the AHL and then came back and did a little bit better in the NHL. And POJ has been someone who's been... He spent most of the time this season in the NHL and in a little bit more of a sheltered, isolated role. So you mentioned that you thought POJ would be third line. Do you think Ty Smith gets a look? Do either of these guys have probably not upside this year because they got the two big guns now? But what do you think the future holds for these two? Yeah, Ty Smith, rough year. Not cap casualty at the start of things. Didn't get any time with the team. It's just a result of the situation from a money perspective. Ron Hextall. I think really put himself in a pickle there at the start of the year, but then didn't play well enough in the American hockey league to wow anyone or warrant some kind of call up. Didn't play his way into the league. And then when he was in the NHL, it was fine. It was okay, but it wasn't, you wouldn't, I don't think say, you know, anything better than what Pierre Olivier Joseph gave you. So look, this, again, I think this is going to be a really reduced role for whoever gets this job. I think you're talking about limited minutes and a very much a babysat deployment, if you will, that's spoon fed in a way. You're playing T-ball here a little bit. <laughs> You've got Latang and or Carlson taking up a lot of the tough stuff. And then you're left with your bat and cleanup. I I think I, I think it's gonna be POJ. He exhibited a lot of offensive competence uh, for his role last year. I don't think I'm matriculated in, in terms of points, but if you look at the micro data, uh, he was able to support the play in ways that I don't think Ty Smith was. So I think it's POJ's job to lose. I expect him to use a little bit more of the games played savvy he has in, in, in recent history to his advantage. But again, this role has just been neutered so badly by the arrival of Eric Carlson that it's just almost fruitless to even, to even sniff around these parts just because at the end of the day, I think it's just really going to be a limited role. Yeah, good point. All right, let's move on to the goalies. So the Penguins had the 22nd ranked expected goals against per 60, according to Evolving Hockey. Gave up only the 19th ranked actual goals. So they were a little bit better than expected. Tristan Jari got the big contract, 5.375 for five years. He was pretty good overall in terms of like volume, 909 save percentage, but his goals expect goals above expected was a little negative, as was his Delta Fenwick at even strength. So he a little bit underperformed there. And they don't have Casey DeSmith anymore. They have a new backup. Do you think Jari's role changes at all? He got the money. He's the guy. I'm not sure we can expect too much different from him. Maybe a little bit improvement from those numbers. What do you think Jari's season has in store? I don't think anyone knows, Victor. Spin the wheel. Where does it land? Where does the Tristan Jari wheel land today? 
there's a gross lack of consistency around his performance. We have to acknowledge that first. And then we have to talk about his availability, right? His health is a problem. Last year, especially, he was nagged all season long by a recurring, I don't know, nobody really ever said it was the hip, but you get the sense from watching him that it was the hip. And he kept referencing like a an issue that was affecting his mobility. So groin, hip, something like that, right? Maybe one of those two. That is what the wheel landed on last season is that we got this incomplete picture of Tristan Jari because of his health. And then the last year is we got this incomplete picture of Tristan Jari because of his health. And then the year before that, it was really good. And he got to the all-star game and then it fell out. Two things I'll tell you. One, health, consistency, tantamount to the Penguins getting into the postseason. Because Alex Nedeljkovic, I don't think is the solution long-term at goal. I don't think that they've, that's a, that's a, that to me is perhaps an equivalency to Casey Smith <laughs> and just Casey Smith, someone else who had consistency issues and appearance issues that, that may have been the core of the decision to move on there, but Jari's got to get it. He's got to prove a lot of stuff to people. People in Pittsburgh are very skeptical of this contract. I don't like giving term to goalies, period, unless they're Igor Shosturkin or one of the generational talents that you have out there right now. I, I just, I'm so leery of it. And with Jari, we have, there's just so many things that have never, playoffs, his playoff track record up to this point is abysmal, abysmal, not good at all. Horrible. You're, you take that hand in hand and you look, and I'll say this, people may be listening to this podcast saying, oh. Jesse, you're crazy. There's no difference between the regular season and the playoffs for a goalie. Tell that to Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> like up to this year, this is a totally different guy in the postseason than he was in the regular season. And I, you just don't have that solution. That answer doesn't exist for Tristan Jari. And that's such a big question mark, right? It's a huge question mark. And then there's chunks of the regular season where he's lights out. Best guy in the league. All-star caliber goalie. That like you come back from the all-star game and it's like the bottom falls out. So he's just never stretched it end to end. He's never been a starting goalie from the beginning to the year of the year to the end of the year. That has never happened, right? Like he's never given you that full example of what he can do in a consistent and regular basis. Kyle Dubas is betting he's going to do that this year, but it would be the first time that it happened. So I guess it covered, color me skeptical, right? Fool me. What did old George W. Bush say? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. You ain't going to fool me again. That's how I am right now. I just, until I see it, it's great to talk about the possibilities, guys, but they're just possibilities until they matriculate. Let me tell you something, Jesse. There's a lot of people who listen to the shows that say, Jesse, you're crazy, but none but of it had to do with things that you said. So yeah. you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Instead, you brought us some great takes tonight. Great information on this Penguins team. Why don't you let people know how they can keep up with all the work you got going out there, Jesse? Yeah, Penguins-specific work you'll find at theathletic.com. I'm just talking about them there, but then at McKeon's, they let me talk about whatever I want in the National Hockey League. That's usually non-Penguin related. So depending on what you're in the mood to read, one of the two are generally opposite of each other. So generally Penguins at the Athletic and everything else at McKean's Hockey. Outstanding. Thank you so much for coming on today, Jesse, and good luck following those Penguins this year. Yeah, and just so you know, your listeners won't know this, guys, but I made you punt the show from yesterday to today because I had a child that wouldn't <laughs> sleep. Thanks for being flexible, as always. Appreciate it. No, no problem. Glad to have you here.
Anderson. And Ovechkin fires past up. Oh, my goodness. Luongo with a cat quick grab. Now it's your weekly goalie talk with Kat Silverman. Cat's Instincts. Time again for Cat's Instincts with Kat Silverman of In Goal Mag, Pittsburgh Penguin Edition. And we definitely have a couple of good ones here to talk about. I wouldn't say that their system has a ton of depth, but they got, a, I think, at least one really good one, maybe two. And the first one we're going to talk about, Joel or Yoel Bloomquist, 2020 second round pick by Pittsburgh, 6'2", 183 pounds, came up in the Carpat system. And we know you like that system for goalies. And he was in Carpat pretty much the whole season this past year, played one game in the AHL. I believe there was even some discussion of him blowing off some international appearance that because he, he wanted to come to North America and be in the AHL. He also played one game last season in the AHL. So anyways, interesting for him. His trajectory looks decent. He's up at 27% chance of being an NHLer with a really strong Liga performance this year. He's got some decent comps. One of them, I think, that seems to fit a little bit is Jordan Bennington, who's an average starter in the Liga. Some of his underlying numbers show that he was one of the better goalies and save percentage above expected, but more average and goal save above expected. So, Kat, is Blomquist the next starter for the Pens? What do your instincts tell us about Yoel Blomquist? Uh, now that he is the only goaltender left from that that little era where they took a nice little slew of goaltenders, they have traded Klang to the Anaheim Ducks to join uh, Lucas Dostal there. Yeah, I think he's probably the next starter. He's an interesting goaltender because he is a Finnish national. And he's from a unique part of Finland. He's from right across the border from Sweden. So he's actually a Swedish-speaking Finnish player with a Swedish name which is fun. The only other player that I know from that area is a former Vancouver Canucks draft pick, Jonathan Ilati, who played for the junior system. I believe he played for the national team when they won silver back in 2010 or 11. And that's just like a fun little area where the players get access to some of the Swedish goaltending systems, but then they also are of Finnish nationality. So they get to go and play in the fin- on the Finnish teams and you see that in the way that Blomquist plays because a lot of those Finnish goaltenders are a little more aggressive. They like to come out to the top of the crease. They play a little bit more of a vertical game where they move forward and backwards very aggressively. They stay a little bit lower. And from Blomquist, you see a little bit more of that Swedish style where he stays a little bit more conservative, a little closer to the goal line, makes more of those lateral movements, stays just a little bit calmer and has a more instinctive game from his knees than he does from his feet. But he's a lot of fun to watch because he does play such a good hybrid system where he gets some of the aggression and he's able to use his hands really nicely, like some of the Finnish goaltenders. And then he gets that good smooth skating from some of the Swedish goaltenders and really seems to know when to utilize different parts of his game to thrive. So I'm excited to see how he does. It seems like he's ravenous to come to North America and start playing here, which is exciting for Penns fans in particular. I think that having a goaltender that you know is going to be a promising prospect who really wants to come over and play in your system, that's all any team can ever hope for. So I think he probably will need a year of AHL time at least, but 
it looks like he's been doing well over in Finland. So we'll see how he does when he comes over. Yeah, his one game each of the last two seasons, probably not enough in the AHL to no. get acclimated. So yeah, we'll give it a year. We'll check back in on Blomqvist. I love that about the blend of Swedish and Finnish styles. It, hopefully he takes the best of both worlds. That would be the ideal. Super cool. All right, let's talk about the next guy, and that is Sergei Murashov. He was 2022 fourth-round pick, 6'1", 170-pound. He's in the locomotive system over there in Russia, primarily played in the MHL this past season, but did have one KHL game, which went very well. Thank you very much. And he actually looks really good in the hockey prospecting system. I'm pretty sure that this system favors MHL goalies, if I remember (laughs) Correctly, and from what I've seen, it, it definitely does. He's up at forty-six percent chance of being an NHLer, which is really high. And he started at forty-three, so he's got a bunch of really interesting comps. Guys like Philip Gustafson, Kelly Klang, Leah Nabokov, which is not the Evgeny version of the Nabokov, and Nicole Nikolai Hobby Bullen is actually someone that he looks somewhat like in this system, and that would be a good outcome. He was a pretty good NHLer. It's in the MHL system for the sport contract. They have these underlyings and he was like near the top of that league in just about every metric, save percent above expected, goal save above expected. So Kat, what do your instincts tell us about Sergei Murashov? He looks like he's going to be a lot of fun. Whatever is going on in Yaroslavl right now and the locomotive system, I know that the Arizona Coyotes picked two players from there, I believe. Both of their first round picks were from that system. So whatever they're doing over there, it's exciting the NHL immensely, which is great. (laughs) But I was looking up some of Marishov's numbers and stats and a little bit about his style. And he looks like he was almost outplaying the rest of the MHL last year. Like he should have been playing at a higher level because just to start off the season, it was either last year or the year before, he had six shutouts in the first two or three months of the season. He was the number one goaltender for the month, for a couple of months in there at that league level. But it's good that he got the game reps in because that's where sometimes you see when a goaltender looks like they're doing really well and then they essentially get bumped up and don't get to play as many games because they're trapped in the system behind someone else. So I don't think he's going to come over to North America anytime soon because the jump from the MHL, usually you see those players go to either the BHL or KHL full-time for a year or two first and then come over. But it'll be exciting to see how he does when he moves to play against what, for lack of a better term, I can really only describe as players who look more up to his speed because he was outplaying his competition in the last couple of years by, by a wide margin. So Pittsburgh seems to be doing that. They keep taking these guys who they can hold on to that really they don't need to immediately make room for, but who look absolutely stellar wherever they're playing. So they're not taking any of those high flying bets that they're not taking guys that have two games played in a league somewhere else that are super tall, but we don't really have any knowledge of. They're taking guys that they're getting good sample sizes from, which is smart and which I think is the responsible way to to accumulate your goaltending system, which they need at this point. They have Tristan Jari and I believe still Casey DeSmith, who are good goaltenders, but 
they're reaching the point where within the next couple of years, they're going to need to start bringing someone else up to the NHL level. And it seems like they're doing a good job of keeping their timeline where it'll be a seamless transition for them, which is handy. Yeah, so Sergei Murashov, maybe two, three years down the line, maybe he'll keep progressing and be one of their, be a future goaltender for the Pens. Thanks so much, Kat, for giving us your instincts on the Pittsburgh Penguin goalie system. We'll be back right after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarship academic support, and your GCU graduation team, led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Dynasty Dig, the Pittsburgh Penguin edition of the Dynasty Dig. Boy, this is going to be, it's going to be an episode because, Victor, you only have the system ranked 29th, and that is based on a low volume of prospects in whom you have interest. In fact, today, we are only, we are breaking precedent. The entire history of the Dynasty Dig, I think we've covered three, every one of these team preview episodes to now, it's only going to be two. And let's start out, Victor, with your no-brainer. No-brainer is Braden Yeager. Yes, their best prospect is the one they just drafted. That is the state of this system. Pittsburgh's first-round pick, 14th overall from 2023. He's a 6'0", 170-pound center. He had 20 goals and 50 assists for 78 points in 67 games for Moose Jaw of the WHL. His D minus one, he was both the WHL and CHL rookie of the year. So that's pretty fantastic. Didn't he had a really good draft season, but it wasn't maybe as good in terms of that perspective. His draft season, he did win the Linka Gretzky gold with Canada, which was nice. And due to his age, he has two more years likely of WHL before he can go to the AHL, unless he makes like a really big jump there, which is possible. At this point, he's still unsigned. With the team, but I would imagine they're going to give him a contract as their best prospect. In terms of the tracking data for Mitch Brown, overall, he's at a 67th percentile. Offense, though, is definitely the best part where he was at 84th. Goals per 60, sorry, expected goals per 60, 
just above one standard deviation, so around 87th percentile or so. And the slot passes and slot pass success also really good. He also was really good in primary points involvement, which is good game score. The worst part is definitely his defense, just a 25th percentile defender. Pretty much all of his metrics look pretty, pretty ugly, pretty red. In particular, some of his transition data, like controlled exits per 60, looks pretty low. But some of it looks pretty good, like his entries and relative success. So there's a mixed bag there in terms of his transition and defense. But offense looks really good. And to hear a little bit more about Braden Yeager, let's hear from our FHL scout. Yes, indeed, Victor. And our scout today is Tony. Good old Tony. Montreal man in his different iterations of fantasy play. He says that Braden Yeager has good skating and is always around the puck. Passing and handling, good as well. Usually shoots first and asks questions later. In terms of that shooting, a borderline elite shot, ready to shoot all the time from the top of the faceoff dots down to the goal line. He is deadly. IQ. He says Braden Yeager seems to have a great IQ, able to get a shot. Offensive anticipation, top-notch. Didn't see a whole lot of defense out of him in his looks at Jaeger, but he did see some shorthanded time, and the panic meter seems to be zero. Four checking, another thing that Tony didn't observe a whole lot of, needs to be more aggressive to be successful at the NHL level. For defense, also didn't see a whole lot of defense he was playing. Maybe should say that Tony saw more modern-day defense where you use your stick to block shots. The asset Tony ranked out his best was the play in the offensive zone, high IQ, borderline elite shot, that offensive stuff you're talking about, Victor, and the biggest concern, lack of defense and aggressiveness in the O-zone. The top tier potential, what's the top outcome we could get out of Mr. Jaeger? Tier one, offense is his thing, borderline elite shots, some ability to get them through, although that's dependent on teammates getting him the puck, lots of power play time. The median outcome for him doesn't get more aggressive and play defense a little bit better. He's probably more of a tier three power play type with limited third line minutes. Stylistic comparable, he would say, Tony would say, a better skating, a way better skating, and hopefully more consistent scoring, Tomas Tatar. In terms of the PNHLE equivalency model from our NHL rank king, Mason Black, he's my king. He sees Braden Yeager's numbers taking him between first line and second line potential. His top similarity score, Dustin Brown. That'd be a nice career. And second and third, Joe Valeno and Matt Beneers. These things, I always, I. this is cool stuff. All right, Braden Yeager is up in the competition against Uber U.S. National Development Team scorer Gabe Perot. And in terms of Yeager versus Perot, who were both drafted this year, Yeager nine spots ahead of Perot. Perot comes out way ahead in terms of the public results. People seemed to like all them points that he was scoring with the national team. And so it was 75 to 25 in terms of a proportion. Victor, is it that lopsided Perot over Jaeger? I think so, but that's not to say that Jaeger isn't a good prospect because he is. He's just the best prospect on a really bad pool. But yeah, I like Jaeger. I think he certainly has some pretty decent potential. But Gabe Perot, the records he broke at the USNTDP, I think of all the best forwards that have come through the USNTDP, like your Matthews and your Kellers and 
Jack Hughes, Gabe Pro, outdid them all. And people can say, and I certainly have to some extent, that I thought he was a bit of a passenger, but he's still an excellent player who knows how to score and who knows how to get to the right places. Yeah, his foot speed's kind of a problem, but he's just such a smart player in the way he creates and adapts to the players around him and generates offense. The biggest concern for me for Perot is that he's in the Ranger system who has pretty much shown that they are terrible at developing prospects. And Gabe Perot needs a lot of development. He needs time. He needs certain things to work on. It's good that he's going the college route. It's bad that he's going with his buddies, although he may not play with them the whole time. But he really needs to round out his game. But I think if Perot does and you hit the 90th percentile outcome or even the 80th or 70th percentile outcome, I think Gabe Perot is going to have a much better NHL career than Braden Yeager. So... Yeah, I would smash that button for Gay Pro as well. I think he has much higher upside. The hockey prospecting has him more than double the star potential of Braden Yeager at 53% to 19. And this, the NHL probability is also higher. If you look at some of the comparables for Braden Yeager, there's some pretty good ones. A lot of them are Brandon Saad, Matthew Perot types. And then, of course, there's the token Brady Kachuk that no one is really, but he is a star potential with the lower who ended up who started with a much lower potential and ended up excelling and succeeding in, in all of those areas. So Jaeger probably a lot less likely to be a star than than Pro and some of these other guys. The top down hockey model, a little more pessimistic on him, but eight percent chance of being a star, thirty-four percent chance of being an NHLer. Not horrible, but definitely a little bit down ballot for Braden Jaeger. Yeah, I think he's still he's still good. He's gonna be their prize prospect for a while. Just like Samuel Poulin was for so many years, and then it looks like he's going to be a bust. So we'll see about Jaeger. I hope he doesn't end up that way, but at this point, who knows? It can go a lot of different ways. We'll have to wait and see how he develops. That was number one, Victor. Now we're going to talk about your other guy who is your keep your eye on prospect. Who is it? Yeah, so the only other one we're talking about in this system, basically, is Owen Pickering. Pick Pickering, that's what I always say, right? No, we'll see. 2022 first-round pick, 21st overall, 6'4", 185-pound left-handed D, really large frame, and need, needed to grow into that, and has, to some extent, 9 goals, 36 assists, and 61 games for Swift Current of the WHL. He also played eight games for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, which was nice. Didn't have any points, but it was nice to see him get a little bit of a look there in the HL after the WHL season. But he he will be back in the eight in the WHL. Sorry, this upcoming season. He's a January twenty seventh birthday, so not eligible for the full AHL season this upcoming year. Looking at the tracking data, Pickering looks really great, pretty much across the board. A little bit lower on defensive, Corsi against, but good at denying entries and retrievals. Pickering's expected goals per 60 is one of the tops in the entire CHL for a defenseman. That's pretty incredible. You don't usually see defensemen get quite that high. So that was, that's really great to see. And a lot of his other metrics are really good. Some of his transition play is really good. Advantages created, expected primary points, game score. All that looks pretty fantastic for Pickering. So Looks like he's going to be able to translate his game to the next level, which is nice to see. I don't know how many points he's going to score. He's certainly scoring a lot in junior. So we'll have to see if that can transfer to the AHL. But let's hear a little bit more about Owen Pickering from our FHL scout, Jesse. 
Our FHL scout in this case is Puneet, and he has the following to say about Pickering in terms of skating. Good east-west skater with strong forward acceleration and long strides. Puck handling, average to good. When in the defensive zone, he tends to make short, crisp passes to the open man or out rather than long stretch passes. He's shown that he's able to carry the puck out of the defensive zone, but typically defers to the short pass. The talent is there. The confidence may so far be lacking. The shot, a powerful slap shot and wrist shot, has no hesitation in shooting, comfortable in skating up closer to get a more accurate shot when the opportunity arises. IQ, he uses his stick and size to prevent zone entries. However, he does easily get caught in scenarios where he's unable to focus on multiple attackers, which may give up puck possession at times. Defense. The defensive skills need improvement. He needs to be more aggressive when the puck carrier enters the zone. He allows too much time and space for the opposition, which gives them an opportunity to plan ahead when entering the zone. Seems to rely on his size and reach rather than closing the gap. The best asset, good. Forward skating and speed from a stationary position. Good to average forward skating and lateral movement when positioned on blue line, making shots or keeping the puck in opposing team zone. Long stick, difficult for opposing players to gauge how much space they have. 6'4 height is an advantage. Biggest concern is the backward skating. It needs improvement. Crossover still look unrefined. He may still be getting used to his overall frame, which may be a contributor to his skating development. His skill level is trying to catch up with his body development. He also needs to put on a little more weight to match his height. While in front of the net, he tends to get pushed around when jockeying for position. So what's the top tier outcome here for Pickering? Tier two, if he can increase his shot rate and add more size to his frame. As a defenseman, he's not shy when it comes to taking the shot, but could definitely shoot a little more. Best case is that top four defenseman. Most likely tier, the median outcome, top tier three based on his entry into the NHL, tier three is widely regarded as a shutdown defender and effective playmaker. Depending on what's in front of him at Pittsburgh, he may have a solid chance to push his way up higher. Stylistic comparable from a Penn's player comparable, maybe similar to a Brian Dumoulin, but with higher upside. Summary, Pickering looks good for the most part, but doesn't look as confident on the ice as he did when he played on the Broncos. Could be a new system, new team, and he's just getting used to everything being different. Our NHL ranking Mason Black has him pulling himself up over the second line potential this year. His number one comp, Kale Fleury, and then Rasmus Ristolainen and Jared Spurgeon. And Owen Pickering is going to be compared in the poll today to Seamus Casey, one of the big, big defensemen of that draft, but one actually who went a full round after Pickering in it. So the poll out there, the NHL ranking poll where the public got to vote it took Seamus Casey pretty decisively, 58 to 42. Victor, is that what you would do with Pickering versus Casey? Oh, I said pick Pickering, but I'm not sure about that. It's interesting. So I didn't realize this, but someone mentioned this on Twitter and I looked it up and it turns out that Seamus Casey, a defenseman, has been playing, was playing some center in the NCAA at the University of Michigan. Which is interesting, and I'm not really sure if that's a long-term plan or just because they had too many defensemen or what, but if he has the potential to switch to being a center, I'm not really sure if that's good for him, but it is just interesting to notice. 
he was really good. And maybe that explains some of his increased point potential in the NCAA if you're playing forward. He had 29 points in 37 games for a 67 PNHL lead, which is pretty nice. But yeah, again, if you're doing that with some forward minutes, I didn't, I couldn't find out exactly how many minutes he played where, but it is interesting to see. I'm not sure how the Devils feel about that. They're probably drafted as a defenseman and want him to stay there. But Casey did increase his star potential up to 21% after 15 in his draft season. So it seems I think I'd rather go with Casey. So I think I'll go with the listeners here or the poll voters. But I do think that it's a little disappointing the system that Casey is in, right? He's got so many people ahead of him. We've, obviously, you've got Hamilton there and you have Luke Hughes and you have Simon Nemich there. So I, I don't think that Casey really factors in in terms of getting any power play time there for a very long time. And from that perspective, you might want to take Pickering because he's going to be one of the few high-end prospects that they're going to have. Of course, by the time he gets there, I think Pittsburgh might be in a full rebuild. So it might not be terribly exciting. So I think you do have to keep into it, keep it all into account a little bit. But either one of these guys might be traded. In fact, I think they're both candidates to be traded because of the team situation. So in that sense, they might both be interesting. But I would take Casey. Pickering, for his part, has just an 8% chance of being a star. And he kept that steady year to year. So It'll be interesting to see if he is able to increase that. His NHL probability went up, but his star potential stayed the same. In terms of some other guys he looks like in the hockey prospecting model, he looks like Jordan Spence, who we don't really know what he's going to be yet. And another one he looks like is Kevin Shattenkirk, who is certainly a star. Had some struggles with two-way play, but had a lot of power play time. I'm not sure that I necessarily see that so much from Pickering, but he could step into that role if needed. So... Yeah, a little bit of a lower upside. The J Fresh card also looks pretty pessimistic on Pickering, just 2% chance of being a star and 16% chance of being an NHLer. So a little bit more disappointing. Overall, this whole system, pretty disappointing, sad, actually. And we were going to talk about the third guy, but it was pointed out to us that he's playing, Philip Lander's playing overseas, and I didn't really see anyone interesting to talk about. So rather than do that, we'll just mention these two. And usually we'd say there's a lot more guys to talk about, but there really aren't. But I will still try to make my way through a top 10 list of the Pittsburgh Penguin prospects. That is going to be a challenge, Jesse, but that's going to happen. And if you're interested in doing some scouting with us, you can shoot me a DM on Twitter or Discord or email us. Yeah, if you run out of prospects on that show, Victor, just start ranking something else. Top 10 chewing gums, top 10 television shows of 1995 whatever you want to do if, if you're running out of time i don't <laughs> mind that i'm sure the patrons won't either hey. the voice you hear after this music will be me closing up Finishing up in just a minute, but a couple things to remind you of. First of all, our show is brought to you by Fantrax. Fantrax.com, best place to play fantasy sports. You can do all kinds of different customized scoring, three-way trades, real or auction salaries, deep minor players pools, etc. Fantrax HQ has lots of fantasy content as well. There's a whole bunch of articles coming up, fantasy hockey. Those, those folks are, are going nuts over there. They, they're writing all kinds of stuff, plus articles on all the other fantasy sports. There are many podcasts you can listen to on other sports, including the flag fantasy football. You can listen to, uh, you can listen to a couple of baseball podcasts. There's all kinds of stuff there for you. 
We're also brought to you by Dauber Hockey. Dauber Prospects were on their network. Victor covers the Red Wings, but he's also an editor for Dauber Prospects. And Dauber Prospects Report is a podcast that Victor and our friend Peter Harling host that has to do with hockey prospects, uh, as one might think. So <laughs> listen to that if you're into a little more prospect talk, and you probably are if you're here. You can follow me as well. I have Dynasty Sports Life is another podcast that I do this week. I think there's going to be a little bit of a mailbag coming on Tuesday. So listen to that. I talk about all four Dynasty Sports and sometimes about more than one at the same time. Follow on Twitter at Fan Hockey Life is me at Victor Nuno 12 V-I-C-T-O-R-N-U-N-O-1-2 is Victor. Subscribe, rate, and review five stars anywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. Thank you for listening to the show on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And until next time, keep living that fantasy hockey life.